Thank you so much for joining us today. You're listening to Coryton Cast, the official podcast of Coryton Church. How can these four things lead to broken boundaries in a marriage? Time, talk, touch, and thoughts. Today's episode is from the Boundary Series and part three of Dr. Rocky Ramsey's message on boundaries in marriage. As Pastor Rocky speaks, think about your role as a spouse and the health of your marriage. When marriages are arranged in other countries, they're far more successful than marriages that get uh, in America where we get to choose who we want to be with. So why is that true? Because when a marriage is arranged, you come in, this is my duty, this is my responsibility, so I will spend the rest of my life working to make this as good as it possibly can be. What we do when we get married, you make me feel good, so I'm going to marry you so you can keep making me feel good for as long as we're together. And so this person has a marriage based on commitment. This person has a marriage based on feelings. This person, their paradigm for marriage is love is something you build and work on to have. This person's paradigm is feeling something we have, and now we've got to keep those feelings. Your feelings are going to change. Listen, listen. Every one of you, one time or another, is going to feel like walking out. Am I in the right room? I remember one time I did, Betsy and I were fighting. We were fighting over a couple in the church. They were fighting. He was playing me, she was playing her, and we're fighting about them fighting. And I got so mad, I just decided I've had enough of this church stuff, this pastor stuff, it's too much pressure, I'm out of here. So I jump in my car, I'm headed to Myrtle Beach, I'm just gonna go be one of those uh, lifeguards down there with elephant skin. And luckily, I passed the old steakhouse and sidestopped and get a steak. And after I got, food, got some food in me, I felt better and went home. <laughs> That's a true story. I was leaving her. I was leaving ministry. I was done with everything. And if you're honest, you've been there. If you're expecting your feelings to hold your marriage, your marriage is not going to hold together. If you're expecting your feelings to to drive your Christian life, you're not really going to have much of a Christian life. Feelings are a caboose on the train. They're not the engine. They're wonderful. I love them. You build your marriage good, you'll have lots of them. But if you're just trying to sustain feelings, you're, you're going to be in trouble. So you need to know that. For many, the person they marry doesn't continue to match their mental fantasy. They then fantasize about someone else doing so. Just read a, so an article recently talked about women especially. I've heard that as many as 70% of people who get a divorce later regret it. And women especially will divorce a man who wasn't a bad man, he just wasn't their fantasy. And they'll marry guy number two thinking he will be their fantasy. They find out he's not their fantasy either. In fact, he's frankly not that much better than the first guy. Why did they divorce him? And some don't learn it there. They go on to number three and four and five. This has all been proven by interviews. You might jump out. You know, what we do, we compare what we know. I mean, when you live with somebody 24-7, you know them, don't you? So where we're comparing what we know with something, somebody we don't even know. All we see is the shiny side of them. Can I tell you what? They've got another side of them. 
You just know both sides of the person you're married to. Oh, by the way, let me just, it's just, I'm on a roll here. Let me just keep rolling, okay? When you get married, you don't marry somebody because you love what's best about them. That's what will attract you. That's not why you marry them. You marry them because you know you can live with what's worst about them. And somebody's out saying, well, there's nothing wrong with him. Let me say something to you. You're an idiot. <laughs> You're an idiot. If you don't think there's anything wrong with him, you date till you find out what it is. Don't get married till you find out what the downside is. And marry them when you say, you know what? I can live with that. Now, I know what all these women think, some men, but mostly women. Well, when he, when he comes under the spell of my love, he will change and be everything I want him to be. Y'all know a Greek word for that. Baloney. Thing will work. So it's not what we thought it would be. So we start to fantasize what was somebody else it might be. This mental strain leads to rogue emotional feelings. Energy that could and should be built into making this marriage good and work instead gets spent on a mental and emotional fantasy. They find themselves not wanting who they ought to want and wanting who they should not want. Now, Jesus addressed this in Matthew 5, 28 to 30. It's in your outline there. He said, everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, for it's better to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, you've heard me say this over and over many times. We don't interpret the Bible literally. There's all kinds of metaphors and, and poetic language in the Bible. We interpret the Bible accurately. If we interpreted this literally, there'd be a whole churches be full of men with no hands and no eyes. I'm just telling you. And I'm assuming there'd be some women in the same condition. As Ricky Ricardo would say, this verse needs some splaining. So I'm going to explain it to you. Jesus here makes his point by exaggeration. He did this a lot. It's easy for a camel to go through an eye of a needle and a rich man to go into heaven. He was making a point by exaggeration. And he did this often. This is one of the classics. He doesn't want you cutting your hand off or plucking your eye out. He does want your obedience and your moral purity. And he uses exaggeration to show you how important it is. Here we see that moral purity means mental purity. With men, this is violated by images of women they don't know. With women, this is violated by fantasies about men they do know. The word adultery in the Bible means anything other than one man, one woman for life. God's best would be for us to date one person and marry that person and have no experiences with any other person. Very few people pull this off. Adrian Rogers did. I don't know how long he and Joyce were married before he died. But like in the, I don't remember, it was the fourth grade, he, he met her and he said he rode his bicycle backwards in front of her house, tried to impress her. She was the only girlfriend he ever had. The only woman he ever kissed. Wow. Don't you know that was special? That's what God would like for us to have. 
to have no other competing experiences. So that's why divorce and remarriage is adultery. It's not one man, one woman for life. That's why lust is adultery. It's not one man, one woman for life. That's why if divorced people remarry, it's adultery. It's not the unpardonable sin, but it's adultery. It, it, it undoes what God wanted to do. You can't be married to the person you were married to, be, to that you're supposed to be married to because now you're married to somebody else. It's a big umbrella term. You know, we're not to have other competing experiences. Adultery is just simply God's, is less than God's best that he wants for us. It hurts our being able to have what God wants us to have. Mental and emotional fantasizing about others violates boundaries in marriage. Listen to this. Sin begins with mismanaged thoughts. Bad mental boundaries. There's a verse, I, I didn't uh, get it in my notes here, but there's a verse in the Old Testament that says, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. It begins with mismanaged thoughts. Then bad mental boundaries lead to crossing emotional boundaries. Because I keep thinking about this thing, now I'm starting to feel about it. And then cross the emotional boundaries lead, usually leads to violating physical boundaries. I think wrong, then I eventually feel wrong, then I eventually do what is wrong. If you've been around a while, you've heard me say this. We do what we do because we feel the way we feel. We feel the way we feel because we're attitudes. Two people go through the same experience, feel different ways about it because they're attitudes. Our attitudes are determined by how we think. That's what shapes our attitudes. Our thinking is determined by what we believe. What I really believe, I behave. What I really believe changes what I think. Well, how I think changes my attitude. My attitude changes how I feel when life happens to me. When life happens, and then how I feel determines what I do when life happens to me. Last Sunday, I talked about the fact that we behave everything we actually believe. What you do, you do because you believe what you believe. When we obey God, we do so because it's the right thing for us to do. We believe it's the right thing to do, and hopefully, since God loves us, you believe it's the best thing for you to do. When we choose to sin, at least at that moment, we believe that sin's a better deal. We've done a cost-benefit analysis and said, you know what, I think on this one, like Adam and Eve did, you know on this one, I think we ought to just go ahead and do what God said not do. And we've all done that. It's all gone bad, hasn't it? Not one time has it turned out like, we, like it should have or like we dreamed that it might have. Satan's lie is that sin is better for us than righteousness. Jesus never sinned for two reasons. One, he's God, and being God, he cannot sin. But even as he was fully man, as a man, he never sinned because he always believed what was right. He never believed a lie. He always knew that doing what his father wanted him to do was best. And when you really believe that, that's what you'll do. So in order to change how a person behaves, you gotta change what that person believes. You change what he does by changing what he believes, which change how he thinks, which changes his attitude, which changes how he feels, which change what he does. So how do we, how's a Christian change how he lives, how he thinks, how he feels? Well, I've got several verses there in your outline. I hope I put them in. You may have to jot them down. John 8, 31 to 32. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. The implication is, if you don't continue in the word, you're not. And if you continue in the word, you'll know the word, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So how am I going to get free? How am I going to do the right thing? I've got to know what the truth is. I get that from the Word. Romans 12, 2 says we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Why? Because I do wrong, because I believe wrong. 
Listen to Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. In reference to your former manner of life, lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. Quit being who you were. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How do you do that? You got to get the word of God in you so you can live out the word. And this has put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. You'll do God's will when you actually believe that God's will is best. Marriage is God's idea. Everything God created, remember, was good, 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 that he made man without woman, not an accident. Why did he make man without woman first? And why did he make man and woman without kids first? For this whole thing, I'm talk, it's our whole outline for boundaries. So that Adam would know, I'm God's person. I belong to him. Now he has a partner. But that partner's not his, where he gets his identity, purpose, value, and fulfillment. He gets that from God. And then they had children. But the children aren't primary. They don't come before God. They don't even come before the spouse, their mother. He did that on purpose. So everything was good, but then it was not good for man to be alone. So he creates woman, creates a first marriage, and says that this was very good. Studies show that in general, married people do better in their careers. They make more money. They live longer, and they do better emotionally. Marriage is a good thing. Infatuation in affairs may have higher RPMs, revolutions per minute, but long-term, they can't even begin to compete with the satisfaction of a long, well-built, love-filled marriage. And that you got to believe that. you got to know that doing the right thing, choosing against the wrong thing that I feel like doing now will benefit me now. It'll especially benefit me in the future. It'll benefit me in the future. Marriage done right, done God's way, avoids betrayal and rejection. It creates a safe place to be loved and known and wanted. It's the best environment for raising children to become healthy, functional, contributing adults. Violating boundaries hurts marriage. It hurts the two people in the marriage. It hurts the children. It hurts the parents. It hurts the church. It hurts your friends. It may hurt your job. By association, when you violate marriage boundaries, you give God's kingdom the proverbial black eye. It usually hurts all the same characters in the life of the other person you're involved with. It hurts their husband. It hurts their children. It hurts their parents. It hurts their church if they're in one. It hurts everybody. It's not best, it's not good, it's not right, it's wrong. It hurts most the people you care about the most. When you violate boundaries in marriage, that's what it does. Now, never forget that forgiveness given by God or by others, listen closely, never puts things back exactly the way they were. Can I be forgiven of whatever sin I commit? Yeah. Will that put everything back the way it was? No. Will everything be like it could have and should have been before I did that? No, it will not. Forgiveness doesn't promise that. The Bible sure doesn't promise that. What's done can't be undone. What's said can't be unsaid. What's seen can't be unseen. Betrayal can't be unfelt. 
Disappointment can't be erased. Can you go on? Yes. Can you have a good future together? Yes. Can you have what you were meant to have enjoyed had you not sinned? Probably not. Proverbs 29.1, jot that down, Proverbs 29.1. says that a man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. In other words, he'll be broken beyond repair. Can he be repaired? Yes. Can he be like he originally was? No. An illustration I saw this years ago was like a diamond. You have a diamond, had this big raw diamond, and then the gym, the, the gym guy that's cutting it up is cutting it. So it has the capacity to be a diamond, say, the size of my fist. But in the course of things, it gets broken in the process. Now it can be the size of a golf ball. It can be a beautiful diamond, but it can never be the size of a fist again. Everything that gets done can't get undone. I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm trying to give you reality. If you expect it to be, it's something to happen, and then you'd live like it never happened. That's really not reality, guys. If you remember the story of Joseph, he was hated, betrayed, and almost murdered. And then sold as a slave by his brothers. He found himself as a household slave in a foreign country in Egypt. He had lost everything and everyone that mattered to him. Let that sink in. He had lost everything and everyone that mattered to him. If anyone seemingly deserved to be mad at God, Joseph did. If anyone ever had the right, uh, had, had felt that he had the right to some pleasurable escape, Joseph did. But he believed right, so he did right. He rejected an invitation to pleasure, and doing so, he wound up in jail as his reward. But he took two things into that jail that he could have left in that room with Potiphar's wife. He took his integrity and he took his moral purity. I'll tell you, the Bible says, there's a verse the Bible says, a good name is to be desired above riches. A good name is to be desired above everything. You're better off in jail with your integrity and your moral purity than you are in Potiphar's household having lost both. If you don't believe that, you're in trouble. You're just, it's just a matter of time and you're going to mess up. God was still with Joseph. The best for him was yet to come. This story wasn't over, was it? King David found himself emotionally running on empty like Joseph surely did. His best, best friend Jonathan was dead, which I think was the main issue. He was emotionally separated from his wife, Saul's daughter, who had been given to him for killing Goliath. Unlike Joseph, David had poor boundaries. He's at home instead of on the battlefield when kings go out to battle. He's sleeping during the day and he's up at night. He, looks, he goes up and looks down into his neighbor's place. He sees his neighbor's wife. He called for her. He took her. He had her. But Numbers 32, 23 tells us to be sure your sin will find you out. And it did. Bathsheba became pregnant. And before it was all said and done, David had her husband killed in battle and took her to be his wife. David probably thought that only Joab, who received the orders to have his, her, her husband killed in battle, knew what was going on. Never forget that there is a righteous, just God who always sees. So God sends the prophet to David to tell him what his sin would cost him. 
The good news is David was forgiven. That's great, isn't it? That means everything goes back just the way it was, though nothing went back to just the way it was. But David's forgiven. The bad news, it cost David for the rest of his life. One by one, or one son by one wife, raped a a daughter by another of his wives. And then that daughter's full brother, Absalom, set up a party to get that son, Amnon, to come to so he could kill him, and he did. He flees the country. David does nothing about the rape of his daughter. Absalom loses all respect for David, probably because of his sin with Bathsheba and probably because he did nothing about his sister's rape. Absalom eventually comes back to town and runs David out of town. He's going to take the throne over. There's a battle. David or Absalom gets killed in the battle. The rest of David's life is a train wreck. The good news is he's forgiven. You say, well, if I go out here and sin, I can be forgiven, can't I? Yeah, that's the good news. But the bad news is it doesn't undo what was done. It doesn't unscramble the eggs. You got a chance to keep those eggs intact. But once you crack them and scramble them, you can't put them back in. Forgiveness doesn't put things back where they were before you sinned. Adam and Eve were forgiven, but they lost paradise and then their firstborn son murdered their secondborn. Moses was surely forgiven, but he never got to step a foot in the promised land. Forgiveness doesn't put things back the way they were before you sinned. It's far better. I've got about 20 A's in that word. It's far better to make and keep a good boundary than it is to have to pick up the pieces when you've had a bad boundary or no boundary and crossed it. Doing right ultimately feels better than any wrong you can possibly do. Being the right person, doing what you should do, ultimately feels better than anything you might possibly be able to have. Listen closely and I'm through. Real important. Doing right doesn't take place primarily because we're committed to it. It takes place because we're prepared for it. We have smart and good boundaries. Doing right primarily takes place because we're prepared for it. We have boundaries to protect us from ourselves. That's part of what you do as a parent with a teenager and a child. You have to protect them, not just from the world. You got to protect them from themselves. And if you're going to be mature spiritually and emotionally, you got to learn how to protect you from yourself because you're human. David is a better man than anybody in this room, I'm assuming it was. God called him a man after his own heart. And yet David did far worse than I'm going to guess anybody in this room has done. I don't guess anybody had an affair and had the guy's husband killed. If it can happen to David, it can sure happen to me. It can sure happen to you. And I'm going to continue to do the right thing because I'm committed to it. I'll continue to do the right thing because I'm going to do everything I can to be prepared for it. Same thing with dating. How you stay morally pure when you date. You never get someplace where the wrong thing can happen. And it never does. Young people, then you have a honeymoon that's incredible. Not a leftover. 
then you have a guy you can trust. If a guy will break God's laws before he puts a ring on his finger, why do you think he won't break God's laws after he does? That's a great question. If a girl will break God's laws and be involved sexually before marriage, before she puts a ring on her finger, why do you think that ring is all of a sudden going to make her obedient to God? It doesn't. It's the same person with a ring on. That's how you build trust in a marriage, in a relationship. Young guys, you treat that girl like you want somebody to treat your daughter or granddaughter someday. And I tell you, touch mine, I'll kill you, okay? I mean that literally, not figuratively, okay? I'm an old man, I can go on to heaven. changes the thing when you're playing with somebody and think, you know what, do I want some guy doing this to my granddaughter someday? Let me assure you, you don't. And if you want your wife to love and respect you and know she can trust you, you start the moment you meet her. The moment you meet her. Because you screw that up. You can't go undo it. Can you go on? Yeah. Can you go on like you should have been? No. Moral purity doesn't happen because we're committed to it. Moral purity happens because we have boundaries that ensure it. Marital faithfulness doesn't happen because we're committed to it. It happens because we have moral boundaries that ensure it. The secret to a good marriage is no secret at all. It's simply being Christian. If the, if the two of you will be Christian, you'll have a great marriage. That means humbling yourself. It means serving others. It means putting their needs before your wants. It means genuinely loving a person, which, by the way, you spell love, G-I-V-E. It's being faithful to a person. It's always being honest. It's being dependable. It's speaking words that heal and build up, not tear down. It's doing what God wants, it's the right, which is the right thing. Marriages are fantastic when people in them are Christian. And by that, I don't mean they pray to prayer. I mean they're living the walk. And to the degree that you don't live the walk, to the degree that either of you or both of you are not Christian, to that degree, you'll have less than what God wants you to have. So, you know, if I want to have a better marriage, I I need to be a better man. I need to be a better Christian. If I would be like Christ, don't you think that'd be a pretty good guy to be married to? If my wife would be like Christ, don't you think it'd be a pretty good gal to be married to? Well, that's what the Christian life is, becoming like Him. You've just heard the 13th episode from the Boundary Series from Dr. Rocky Ramsey. Join us next time right here as Pastor Rocky continues this series with another message on boundaries and marriage. Again, thank you so much for joining us today. You're listening to Coryton Cast, the official podcast of Coryton Church. If you have any questions at all, visit us online at CoryttonChurch.com or drop us a message or comment on social media. We're at Coryton Church. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and we pray God's richest blessings on your life. Give us a rating, hit subscribe, and have a fantastic day.